it's more of a mindset thing of you just having a chat with another human being be curious and interested about them you're offering them a load of value just have a chat with them and the rest will just come Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Kyle Winterbottom. Kyle's the founder and CEO of Orbition Group, an award-winning talent solutions business. They're based in Manchester and focus exclusively on scaling data, analytics, and artificial intelligence teams across the UK, Europe, and the USA. Kyle is also the founder and host of the Driven by Data community, which is comprised of three components, the Roundtable, the podcast, and the mentorship. Really interested to learn more about all that. Kyle, welcome. Thanks for being here. No problem at all, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. A pleasure. Fantastic. So uh, it's fun interviewing a fellow podcaster, and I can already see and hear that you've got uh, a great setup there. Um, So you were referred to me recently by Alex Cook, who's been on the show, and... um, when he mentioned you to me, I was like, I know that name. And then I realized we were already connected on LinkedIn and had had uh, exchanged a few messages back and forth. But how do you know Alex? So Alex, um, at one point in time, several years back now, used to report into me um, a search business that we were both at. So I, I ran the, the practice, basically, and he was um, one of the very strong up and coming performers who's obviously gone on and done absolutely fantastic things in his, uh, in his own world. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great guy. Really enjoyed my conversation with him, uh, very recently on the show, actually. So, um, folks should definitely check that, check that episode out. So Kyle, how did you get into recruiting in the first place? Oh, standard story, Mark, to be honest with you. So uh, my background is, uh, I guess I come from a sporting background. So I played professional sports at an early age, uh, came out of that, went to university, ended up in the US on a uh, soccer scholarship, came out of that, went into direct sales, came back to the UK. And um, the age old story of, you know, applying for sales related roles, was interviewing with a rec to rec and didn't realize it was a rec to rec and then um, ended up um, joining S3 um, as many, many do. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I fell into it, like, like many, I guess. Fantastic. And um, yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs have, have come out of S3. Um, so Kyle, you launched Orbition in 2020. Could you share your journey? And in particular, I'm interested in how successful you've been at creating a community and leveraging content marketing to really establish yourselves as an authority in the data and analytics space. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So um, I think I was fortunate that um, where I'd worked before starting Orbition had given me, um, I, I guess, free reign, if you like, to maybe try something a little bit different in terms of of approach. And, um, you know, that, that certainly helped me with the confidence of going into launching the business that, you know, um, there was a way I could be successful that was beyond the traditional, you know, hammering the phones, specking CVs, kind of flying through switchboards, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, 2020, you know, an opportune time for me. And I guess on a, on a personal level, obviously the pandemic had hit. It'd been a bit of a slowdown with um, you know, recruitment from a big client base uh, of ours. And um, it was a case of really, um, we'd pivoted to start looking at other areas across Europe that maybe weren't as impacted or didn't seem as impacted at that time. And to be completely candid with you, it was a case of, well, 
you know, I'm starting to build something again from scratch, new market, you know, back, back to the drawing board of mapping the market, hiring managers on the system, so on and so forth. And um, I guess I'd always known that at some point in time I wanted to do this and it just felt like if I'm going to do it now is probably the right time. It was nearing the end of the year and I kind of felt, you know, I've got about a quarter, three or four months to kind of really start to to build something so that when the new year comes and hopefully, you know, lockdowns are lifted, I was in a good place to kind of, you know, kick on from from there really. So that was the kind of genesis of starting the business at that point in time. Um, and I guess, you know, as I said, the, the whole kind of community concept and content marketing piece had I'd really had a a trial run, unbeknownst to me, um, in my former role, and had proved that it could work, and you know um, was a very successful mechanism of kind of creating brand awareness and visibility within that market, which obviously then you know helped me kick on when I, I launched my own business because you know I guess the benefits were I was already fairly well known from doing that historically before, and um, I guess we've just taken it to a whole new level here. Kind of like, uh walk me through how that kind of evolved. So, you know, we're in, I guess it was uh, September, 2020. And you're, you know, you've just opened the doors of your brand new business or mission. How did things evolve in terms of like, was that the strategy from the very beginning to have this kind of community and content, you know, focused business or like, what was the progression? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the 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 I guess the the genesis of the start was that we were going to create communities and build awareness via content of the brand from the get go. And as I said, I'd you know um, had a bit of success with that previously. Uh, obviously, we were still in a very strict lockdown at that point, and we didn't end up getting out of that lockdown until April twenty one. Basically, um, I think where I was previously, I had a you know I was looking after a geographical region um as as far as you know the former business um so i had um, some fairly strict kind of um restrictions on what i could and couldn't do um so i just you know took myself out of that obviously being based in manchester i ran the north of the uk and certain parts of of europe so um i did what uh, anyone would do and kind of focused on the south of england and basically replicated the kind of community and content approach specifically to that audience and that market that i'd done in my former role um that was more i guess you know focused and targeted towards the the kind of big big cities in the in the north of england effectively so help me just really understand what was going through your mind uh at that time like was it literally you said to yourself okay i'm i'm instead of you know chasing leads and and marketing candidates I'm going to launch a podcast and 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 host events or like what did that really involve on a practical basis when you when you were just you know launching the business? Yeah, so I think as a, as I said I um you know I'd had a, a almost a trial run at this before right so um in my former role we we created a community that was very you know north of the UK centric um, out of that, then we started hosting events and we began to, I began to see during that period of time that actually, you know, if we we're creating these communities, we're putting on these events, we're all about adding value first cr- that then creates relationships. The kind of work just naturally came from that. So we kind of took the exact same uh, approach. I'd already um, actually 
launched a podcast at the previous place that we got about 15 episodes into. So again, I'd already probably had a bit of a trial run at that. So yeah, you know, the doors open middle of September. Um, by the middle of October, we'd launched the podcast. Obviously, we were still in lockdown, so events weren't um, as forthcoming as obviously they they are now. But but yeah, you know, the, I guess the, the the whole premise was very simply let's create a community of people who will ultimately be potential target customers and, and, and buying clients. Let's add a load of value to them. Um, and, you know, fr- from there, that'll create relationships that then, you know, I, I guess the whole premise really, Mark, is give value, give value, give value. And then you almost put yourself in, you know, plain sight and um, I, I guess almost have the um, the opportunity then to to ask the question right around how do we work from you and I guess what's transpired over the last three years is that practically all of the the revenue that we've we've made which has been you know a fairly significant amount has come inbound to us through those communities through that podcast through the content you know through being really visible um, etc cetera, etc cetera, really it's incredible so I think you shared to me on our previous conversation that pretty much 100% of your business has been inbound. Did I catch that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's for a lot of listeners, that's going to absolutely blow their mind because it is so different to the way that most recruitment businesses operate. So I'm really keen to pick your brains on this and and understand, you know, the the sort of roadmap you followed. So I guess what you're saying is within a month of launching, you already had started your podcast. And how did things progress from there? Yeah. So um, I guess we, you know, we're targeting people that we knew. Um, I mean, it's one of them, Mark, you you know, right, you, you run a podcast. So at the start, you're effectively selling a concept and an idea of what the future version of this podcast will become, right? Um I guess now we're yes. in a completely different we're in a completely different place, right? Where we have um, you know thir- almost thirty five thousand listeners in one hundred and forty seven different countries. We're monetizing the podcast via sponsorship, um, and as you know yourself, right? The the more listeners you get, the more accolades you get. The more accolades you get, the better the guests you get. The better the guests you get, the more listeners you get, and it becomes a kind of self fulfilling cycle at, at that point. So um, we started out with you know targeting people that we felt would. Um, you know, allow us to come across as credible that were people of, you know, influence and seniority within that marketplace who had something to share. As I said, I was very fortunate that I had a lot of connections from being in this market for a long time that were, you know, willing to give me their time. And um, to be honest with you, neither myself nor them probably thought the podcast would turn out to be what it has become um, in all candidness, right? And I guess it's just evolved from there. So the events were the, the kind of starting point of what I'd always done. So I started hosting data analytics leadership events in 2018. Obviously, I had a trial run with another podcast in my former role. So when it came to launching Ambition, you know, we kicked that back off again pretty much from the start. And since then, it's always been a case of, well, how do we continue to grow and develop and, and innovate on that? Because ultimately, you know, when I first started doing events, um, very few recruitment companies were hosting events and very even fewer were doing it in the sphere of data analytics, right? Um, same when I started the podcast, very few recruitment companies were doing podcasts. Now everyone's doing events, now everyone's doing podcasts. So the next iteration of that kind of community um, that we were trying to build was this mentorship program. 
now I see loads of other recruitment companies having a mentorship program. So I've always been very conscious of how do we stay ahead of the curve, but whilst also trying to, you know, maintain almost number one status in each of those categories around putting on the best events possible with the best people that people keep coming back and people, you know, are kind of clambering to to be in. Um, same with the podcast, same with the mentorship program, et cetera, et cetera, really. So, um, yeah, the podcast has become a bit of a household name, which obviously helps us. I guess the whole community concept, really, if you kind of relate it back to 100% inbound revenue, that doesn't mean that we haven't instigated some of those relationships. You know, we, we will purposely go and target people that um, can add a lot of value to that community who are also people of, of power and influence within the market who we, you know, at some point in time would probably like to have a conversation with about how they do their recruitment and staffing and search, right? Um, but ultimately, once they're in that community, it allows us to to nurture those relationships. It allows us to add continuous value to them. And uh, more often than not, what happens, whether it's two weeks, two months or two years, at some point in time, they typically come to us because we've built that relationship with them. The content marketing piece really kind of runs runs parallel to that and kind of just reinforces that we are a player in this space because they see our stuff all the, all the time. And, you know, it's, a, again, a lot of value added stuff, a lot of advice, you know, this is what you should be doing, this is what you shouldn't be doing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those two combined have put us in a really powerful place that, you know, when a senior leader from within our sector is looking at how do we build out our team, whatever the case may be, we are, again, stood in plain sight and they already have a relationship with us through that community and they've already got a, a bunch of value from being associated with us. So it probably just seems like a, a fairly obvious conversation to, to go and instigate that, you know, wh why wouldn't they, I guess, is the, is the premise of it. Awesome. Great answer, Kyle. And I, so I wanted to recap on a few things that I took away from what you just said. One is the kind of domino effect, or maybe a better description would be the snowball effect of, you know, when you first start it, it's just a concept and you're getting people to buy into, but it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more successful your podcast is, the better guests you attract, and then everyone wants to participate. So I think that's huge. And the second thing you said that uh, I thought was really interesting is that this is like multi-dimensional. You're first and foremost, you're bringing, you said, adding value, adding value, adding value to your ecosystem that you serve. And there's just so much goodwill that you generate uh, aside from the visibility and the positioning and being seen as an expert and uh, and a thought leader and everything else. It's not just that, it's that because you're giving so much value, people appreciate you and they, it's almost like you have a relationship with them that goes beyond vendor and, you know, customer, right? And uh, so I think that is huge is that that idea of first seeking to add value. And then the third thing that you mentioned is the idea that strategically you're inviting people on the show who number one, are going to contribute and bring something, bring that value to your audience uh, and that insight. But number two, all, you know, so they're also influential. And so therefore, there's a sort of credibility that transfers to you uh, because you are, you know, you're clearly have a relationship with that individual. And thirdly, some of those people are potentially you could do business with as well. And I like how you said it's. It might be two weeks, two months, or two years, because 
it's a secondary objective, right? Your first objective is bring value to my audience. Uh, but secondary objective is build relationships with those people who you have on the show because they could be referral sources or they could become clients themselves. What's the, do you, but it's not like uh, that might happen right away within the first couple of weeks, or it might take months or even a couple of years for that to come to fruition. What's your mechanism, Kyle, for seeking to, without being too salesy, but seeking to turn a podcast relationship into a commercial relationship? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, to be honest with you, that's um, probably something that we've not executed on all too well, if I'm being really, really candid with you, Mark. I think um, we we were probably very fortunate the timing of the launch of our business, right? We probably hit the biggest boom in, um, you know, recruitment history on that we may ever see again, right? So I think a lot of the, the visibility um, around our content marketing and kind of positioning ourselves front of mind, the relationships that we already had in place, the value added stuff that we were already doing and delivering, that put us in a really good spot. And, you know, our, our business model is slightly different to a traditional recruitment agency or, or search firm in that a lot of it is very kind of partnership model led. So it's often done at scale. So that could be working with a FTSE 100 that needs to hire 50 people over the next 12 months, or it could be you know, a VC-backed startup that needs to hire four people over the next couple of months, but it's it's typically project-led or individual senior appointments, typically. Um, and during that period of time, you know, 21, 22, we were just having retained project after retained project after retained project walk through our door. Um, and, uh, you know, whilst that was great, we were also in a transitionary period as a business of going from, you know, just me starting the business in a mo my mother-in-law's back bedroom to trying to put process frameworks, infrastructure, <laughs> structure into the business. Um, so, you know, yes, we absolutely capitalized on that period of time. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the, the work was inflowing very, uh, very quickly. Uh, and in, in all honesty, probably more quickly than we were able to to deliver on, which was why we had fairly significant rapid growth just to try and capitalize on that period of time. I guess the outside of that, uh, the flip side of that now is that, you know, when we came out of that big boom, we were probably in a position where I wished I'd have thought about the structure a little bit more carefully in terms of how do we leverage this great community that we've got, because we'd been in a place where we'd not need to pick up the phone and ask the question, right? Because there was so much work walking through our, our door on an inbound basis um, from new clients, right? We were a brand new business. So it was, that was a great period mm. of time. But yeah, I guess structurally, I that was probably one of my biggest learnings. I wish I'd have thought about what does the future state and structure of this business need to look like to leverage those relationships that we do have, right? And I guess, you know, um, it sounds great for all intents and purposes that, you know, yeah, you don't need to, kind of go outbound to many people. And to be honest, we still don't, but that's something that we need, we definitely should have addressed sooner. But I think to your point about, you know, the time, I think that's a really big point to anyone listening to this. You know, I see so many recruitment and staffing businesses, they go on this journey of trying to create communities, start events, start a podcast, and very quickly they stop because they don't see immediate ROI. And my message to anybody, I mean, I get asked about this on podcasts or events all the time, but it's never an immediate ROI, right? You know, some of the biggest retained projects we've won, which have been worth, you know, maybe half a million pounds as an example, that came from a, a relationship that we had for 12 months, right? You know, and if we'd have 
stopped adding value to that person or that company or those people, that would have never come to fruition. So I think it's it's definitely mm. value add first, build the relationships, <laughs> and then then you can prosper thereafter. And I, I think most people they start and then because they don't see immediate returns, they just go back to the norm of you know as you said, cold calling, marketing candidates, things Absolutely. that they know. Yes. Exactly. So Kyle, I want to talk about this first. We will circle back to the idea of, okay, now you have a delivery issue and you have to scale. And then there's been some learnings that have come out of out of that, especially as the market has cooled in 2023. So we will get to that. But first, I just want people to really understand the power of this because like, it's pretty unheard of for a, a new business to like have that rapid growth and have all those meaty retained projects like uh, inbound. That just, that just doesn't happen. And so I, um, I think there's a couple of things to think about here. One is often when people launch something like this, a podcast, it's very tentative. They dip their toe in the water and they say, well, I'll do one a month or something because I need to keep doing all this other stuff, the cold calling and the you know, the outreach and, but you obviously accelerated that process. Like how, what was your, how, how many podcasts were you publishing at the time? Like what was your, um, your sort of frequency? So we kicked off the podcast and it went live weekly and it's been going live weekly ever since. So, um, we've just actually this week launched. Amazing episode one of season four. So we do 50 episodes per season. So um, obviously that's taken yep. us to 150 episodes. We actually crammed a few bonus episodes in there while we were getting the launch of season four ready. But yeah, I think consistency yes. is absolutely key to this, right? And I think this is sometimes where I see organizations get it wrong is as you say, they they will dip their toe in if I've got time because I've got, you know, I've got client calls to be making or I've got other things to be doing. And the way I always looked right. at this, I have to see, you know, and again, I've probably been fortunate that I had um, uh, almost a trial run of how this thing can work. So, you know, uh, I, there was probably a few tweaks that I made when I did launch the business that, you know, I, I'd, do the, I'd do this a bit better or I'd do this this way instead. But ultimately, you know, you can, when I'm, you know, speaking to potential guests as potential, uh, you know, to come on the podcast, um, that's still speaking to clients, right? So, so ultimately what's, what's the exactly, difference? Exactly. Exactly. What, what's the difference in, right. you know, it's just, it's just, the, and, it's, it's the mechanism of engagement, right? Exactly. So, but I want people to get here, you know, as you said, like that, you, you want a 500,000 pound retained project, but it took, there's a, a lag time of building that relationship over time. But if you're doing 12 episodes a year versus you're doing 50 a year, right? The time, the, the, the time to get to the ROI is a lot faster if you're doing 50 episodes a year, right? Because you have like 400% more chances of one of those relationships turning into, you know, a significant uh, client. So what, moving on from the podcast then, how did that kind of grow into live events and then into, uh, you know, your mentorship and, and so on? Because as you've said, you've tried to really stay ahead of, of your competition and be the, the, the market leader. So could you 
like talk us about how, talk to us about how that evolved. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the events were what came first, obviously in in the previous role. But um, when I started the business, we were in lockdown, right? So physical events probably you know wasn't gonna gonna happen. So we we kind of launched with the podcast fully on the premise that the events would return when lockdown kind of um, you know um, lifted. Um, and I guess you know what has happened over time is the 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 more successful the podcast has gone, the better the guests of the podcast. And then we once you know once they're filtered into that community. So the way we view it internally is that anyone that's doing anything with us, and and it, it spreads beyond just the events, the podcast, or the mentorship. Now you know we do a lot of other stuff like guest articles and white papers where people will contribute towards that, like LinkedIn Live interview series around a specific sector or whatever the case may be. So anybody that's contributing in any capacity with us on you know one of those community related initiatives we just view that as this is our community and you know obviously we we try to add value to that and and obviously what you find is that there's certain people that will get involved with all aspects of it right you know so there are people that come to the events they've been a guest on the podcast they are a mentor in our mentorship they've done guest blogging with us they've been on a linkedin live with us etc etc so there's you know, not every community member is created equally. I think that's also something else mm-hmm. to to consider. Um, and but but I think in terms of facilitating, how do you kind of stay ahead of the curve? Obviously, as soon as lockdown was lifted, we brought the events back. Obviously, the better the podcast has gotten, the better the guests have gotten, the better the events have become. Uh, mm. And you know, we've had comments from people that are um, very active in the event space in our industry who have actually said that our events in their opinion are better than some of the events companies that put those wow, big events on that's right insane. Uh, in, in terms that is insane yeah in, what, in, Kyle, in terms what do, of the what do those actual, events look like sorry go ahead yeah i was just going to say in terms of um you know the actual quality of person in the room like the level of seniority you know being able to bring or that that's such a, a group of influential figures into one room together you know we've had comments that have said you know even x event company can't do that as an example if you're a recruitment business owner you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology but how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients otherwise overall you're just making a financial loss our trusted partner iintro has a solution for this They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop their retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Amazing. What is the nature of these events? Like what is, what's the sort of 
format and and um yeah like what what's the format of those events so the the events are kind of round table format and to be honest with you for a, a long time we struggled with getting the balance right of being able to scale the events because we quite very quickly got to a place where we had more demand than we could facilitate so you know we had one yep. or two options at that point in time it was either do we change the format so move away from a round table and it become a panel or a conference or whatever the case may be, or do we just put on more events? Now, the community in of itself preferred the intimacy of the round table. So the way that works in reality is, you know, we, um, as someone that's very intertwined in the industry, I put out four or five different topics of things that I hear consistently around challenges, opportunities, whatever the case may be in the marketplace. I put that back to the community. They vote for which topic they want to speak about and from there you know the top two topics win so we have um you know kick off the event have one topic break for food and drink have the second topic the industry uh, the events are chaired by people from industry so we just play facilitator in in all honesty um but we had a we had a challenge scaling that because we were having a very counterintuitively for us having some really great people very influential people saying i'd love to come to your event and i was like well there's only so many people you can get around a round table, right? And what we can't be doing is kicking people out. So um, we've managed to get to a point now where um, for our London event in the UK, we've managed to scale that. So we have, you know, probably somewhere between 60 to 70 kind of chief data officers or people at that level come to the events every quarter. And we just have a bigger event space and more tables. So we might have six or seven tables of eight to 10 people per table. Everyone's discussing the same topic. Each table will have their own chairperson. We bring all that together at the end and kind of talk, you know, more holistically about what that table was discussing, any key themes that were coming out of it and, and so on and so forth. And that's worked really well because a lot of people like the intimacy of the round table discussion, but also being part of a bigger group from a networking perspective. So that's, wow. that's worked really well. That's cool. So that's brilliant. And how, so I was going to ask, like, how many people works in a roundtable and then how long are these events, um, like, how long do, is the event for? Yeah, so the events, we run them for, well, I guess they're, they're in the calendar for about three hours. So we normally run them 4 p.m. till 7 p.m. And then, but obviously people stay around mm -hmm. and network and have a few drinks um, thereafter. Um, again, you know, the roundtables in that environment are normally, you know, Eight, eight to ten people per table and we will have six yep. seven ish tables um so no that that, that works it. really well and kyle do you charge people to attend the event and or how do you manage the cost of something like that so yeah no the, and I, I think this is the this is the thing where we're getting to now. So we, we've never charged anybody for anything as part of our community, right? So it's something that we self-fund and, and always have self-funded and always will self-fund uh, and self-fund. So, um, you know, people don't pay to come to the events. People don't pay to come on the podcast. People don't pay to be part of the mentorship scheme. That's, you know, we absorb all of that cost. In all honesty, it pays for itself by the relationships sure. that we create and the work that we win off the off the back of it. We're in a very fortunate position now, actually, where, um, you know, we, we're having some fairly sizable organizations within our space pay us to sponsor those types of things, which, again, there's a very fine line on that, getting the balance right so that, you know, you don't then start to become another event company where, you know, people are being sold to and it becomes a big vendor fest type of, of thing. Um, exactly. But yeah, we're, we're getting to the point now where 
were able to make money off of that type of, of stuff as well. Nice. Okay. I love it. And so you mentioned the London one where you get, might get 60 or 70 chief data officers. Do you do them in other cities as well? Yeah. So we, we do them obviously in Manchester where we're headquartered. That's obviously a smaller community of people at, at that level. Um, we've done them out in the States and we've done them in certain parts in Europe as, as well. Um, so yeah, the, the plan is to probably take them global on a more consistent basis. You know, we, we've trialed other, other locations to see if the appetite is the, is the same. Um, but I guess as with all of these things, it becomes easier to sell position and facilitate because we now have something very tangible that we can show people, right? You know, we can show people pictures and video clips of the events that happen in London so they can see the size and the scale and it's in a nice swanky room and, you know, you've got the CDOs of all these big name brands that come so we can kind of show them this is what we're trying to recreate here and um, that becomes a little bit easier. Whereas at the start, obviously, when I first started doing this, as we discussed, what you're selling is a concept of a potential future vision of what you think this might become, right? Um, and you need one or two first movers to to come with you to make that a reality. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. So are you personally facilitating or hosting those events in all the other locations, Kyle, or do you, or is it team members or are they like, how do you orchestrate that when you're based in Manchester? Yeah. So I do most of the, the hosting um, alongside my colleague, uh, Kat, who's the kind of mm -hmm. uh, global head of brand for us she actually comes from a an event background specifically within our industry sector so uh, to be honest with you she joined the business at the start of uh, this year um, and she's um, been absolutely brilliant at kind of professionalizing professionalizing a lot of what we were already doing um, you know I guess merely based on her experience and expertise in how you make that happen but also um, in the fact that it's taken a lot of the time off of me, right? You know, because I was doing a lot of the facility, Amazing. everything from yeah. inv inviting the guests, pulling the topics together, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Love it. And so what is the mentorship and how does that work then? Yeah. So the, the mentorship program, again, that, that came from just a place where I'm con continually looking at what is the next thing that we can do for this community that adds value and, and how can we do something that also strategically aids the direction of the business. Um, the mentorship, you know, is the, the third component of our community that sits under those three pillars of what we do of event, podcast and mentorship. And to be honest with you, that was just a a gap that I spotted in the market where, uh, and again, it's interesting because we we contribute to both ends of these spectrums, which I'm about to um, kind of outline, but obviously at the senior end of the market, there's a lot that goes on. There's events, there's dinners, there's conferences, there's, you know, blah, 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 a, a lot that happens for that crowd. Equally, there is a lot that goes on in universities and programs around that to help get more students into the data analytics arena, again, which we contribute to. So I do a lot of public speaking at universities to raise the profile of data analytics as a career, et cetera. Um, but what we noticed is outside of the major kind of enterprises that have, you know, huge capability and financial resource to kind of um, facilitate graduate programs and, you know, career development plans and all of that type of stuff. Most data analytics team in your average organization are actually fairly small, right? And what happens then mm. is those people that come into that organization, they will quickly realize that my opportunity to develop and progress and upskill is completely 
at the mercy of how much time, effort and energy and resource and finances that this company is willing to put into me. And in many cases, there's just not enough of that to, to go around, right? So um, we work in a, a talent short market for sure. And the last thing we need is for people to be falling out of the industry because, you know, they, they can't see a way forward. So because we had mm. such a network of influential people at the senior level, we just went to them with this concept of, you know, we think we can play facilitator here on this mentorship program where, um, you know, it's basically an opportunity for you to give back. But really the tagline of that is, you know, to, to develop and upskill the next generation of data leaders. So, uh, and obviously what the people in the program, you know, they're probably early careers. So maybe three, you know, three years plus that are looking to be mentored we just bring them together, right? So um, all of the people that come to our events, all of the people that have been on our podcast, a lot of them are also um, mentors in our mentorship program. Again, we, we have all of this hosted on our website. So if anyone wants to go and have a look, you can see the types of people and brands that we have associated in that mentorship program. Um, but we just play facilitator. So one thing I was very conscious of is not making it like an academy where there was a curriculum because obviously then we have to start to manage what that looks like and we start to kind of um, put people into boxes of this is what they want to learn or this is what they want to be mentored on and we wanted to we wanted it to be um, very much about them and that relationship with their mentor so you know we do the pairing based on what this mentor and mentee want to get out of that relationship you know whether it's career advice whether it's kind of technical upskilling whether it's communication skills whatever the case may be we bring the pairing together and then we step back and get out of their way and some people speak on a weekly basis some speak people speak every you know two or three times a year um but we're about to launch the sixth cohort of that mentorship program which will take us to about three over 300 people involved all told wow um, so yeah yeah it's been good that's interesting kyle i i I honestly think you could charge for that. We have a client, Lauren Steibing, who is um, her business, Ellis International. So she has an executive search business in consumer goods, and she's launched uh, a kind of another brand called uh, Elevate, which is her mentorship program. Again, it's within four leaders within uh, within consumer goods, and the so the companies who like basically the 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 companies pay for their employees to be mentored by another executive matched up with an uh, an executive uh, who's more senior at another firm still within consumer goods but obviously not directly competing product lines and that's been really successful for her because something i know is what you're describing you make it sound like a, a lot easier than it really is like the whole pairing of yeah, like you've had 300 people who you've had to match up. That's a lot of work, right? And uh, I don't know how you guys do it, but I'm sure I'm sure there's a huge amount of work and thought that goes into that. Uh, have you? Do you think you would spin that off into an a, an actual revenue stream? Um, at, at this point, I'd probably say no. I mean, I think look, we, we certainly could, and mm -hmm. and again, it's just like the podcast and the events, right? You know, we've gotten to a point now where there's you know people probably would be willing to pay to come on it and we get a lot of pr companies come to us with you know um can we pay to have one of our clients come on your podcast right um that's not really what we do it for it's more about the brand visibility and having that relationship because i think for us in all honesty what we what we can earn from you know 
charging for a mentorship program will be really insignificant in comparison to um, what we can earn off having that relationship with those people. And obviously what, you know, we're, again, think about the long game. Some of these people are, you know, mm-hmm. three, five, 10 years into a career being mentored by someone significantly more senior than them. At some point in time, mm-hmm. they will also be uh, be a decision maker, right? So um, yeah, yes. I, I think that's that's our take on it currently. You know, could we? I, th- I think we could. Um, would that put people off coming in potentially? Um, but again, I think it's, you know, it's all, it's all good stuff in terms of being able to go and engage the right types of people, whether that be, you know, potential target clients or whether that be potential target candidates. We have mechanisms beyond just, I've got a job, are you interested? Or we're a recruitment company, can we work with you? Right. And I, and I think that's really been I get it. It's the reason. Yeah, no, I get it. It's the long game. And and those people, I mean, no question, 300, you've just created 300 brand ambassadors for uh, Orbition, right? And so- you know, and as they develop in their careers, they're going to, you're going to place them or they're, you know, going to become hiring managers. And, and, uh, you know, there's no way that if, if you play that correctly, that they're going to go to your competitors, right? You've, you've kind of got those lifelong relationships now. Um, Kyle, talk to me about how you were sort of forced to scale maybe quicker than you had planned because you had these like retained projects. And then what the learning from that has been or what you feel like the, in retrospect, the mistakes have been that you're now uh, recalibrating. Yeah, 100%. So um, as I said, we were at a place in time where we'd done a fairly good job of creating that community, adding a lot of value to it. The content marketing piece was almost fueling the fire even further around that. Um, And we were having a lot of these retained projects walk through the door. Naturally, you know, at that point in time, we were, you know, less than a year old, right? So um, we had to, we had to grow by demand rather than design. And at that point in time, it was absolutely the right thing to do to capitalize on it. So, you know, and still very much to this day, I'm still very much the face of business development and sales and, and honing a lot of those client relationships. Um, but what that meant was that, you know, when we got probably to the start of this year, I looked around the business and we'd gotten to kind of 13, 14 people. Um, and there was myself, a couple of people from a content and marketing perspective, and then everybody else in delivery, right? And I'm sure it's probably a story that you, you've heard very frequently all year, Mark, right? You know, a lot of people were just trying to capitalize on that moment in time and probably don't regret doing so because it would probably was the right thing to do. However, the learning out of the other side of that has been, you know, we got to the start of this year and actually um, the business wasn't then fit for purpose structurally for the market environment and conditions that we now have, right? And and I think that's where um, I wish I'd have probably paid a little bit more attention to that earlier so that, you know, we obviously that that boom was never going to last, you know, and I'm not too sure what it was like in other industry and and markets, but in in our industry, it was just insane. You know, salaries were hugely inflated. Anyone with a pulse was getting hired. You know, it was a time to... To, to kind of make hey well the sun was shining right but I guess um, that was never going to last and and I think we wish that we'd have thought more about this in terms of well when we come out of the other side of this um, and all of these retained projects aren't walking through our door at the scale or volume that they were how do we go about leveraging this great community that we've built because we were up until that point in time at the mercy of 
whatever came knocking on our door, right? Which was a nice problem to have that there was a lot of knocks at the door, um, but equally we'd not really set ourselves up structurally to say, well, you know, okay, when they're not knocking at the door as frequently, how do we go about leveraging that community from a from a sales perspective? And mm. effectively, I became the bottleneck in the business, right? Because there's only so many mouths I could feed during 2021 and 2022, that was significantly more mouths than it is now. So I think that that's been the thing that I've I've learned. Do I regret it? No, because I think, you know, as a small business, we had to capitalize on that moment in time. But I wish I'd have probably paid more thought to this is going to end at some point. And actually, when we, that does end, um, the business structurally won't be set up to kind of succeed in the market conditions that we will then have, um, which has been a large part of this year is kind of restructuring that to get that right, I guess. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's interesting. You use the expression grow by demand rather than grow by design. I think I'd say the majority of recruitment businesses grow by demand, right? There's, oh, we're getting, we're, we're getting a lot of work from this client. So, you know, let's hire an, a, a, a recruiter to, you know, help us deliver to that account. And it's sort of like quite organic rather than by design and where you're strategically thinking about, okay, here's where, here's the vision. This is where we want to get to. Let's reverse engineer that. How are we going to make that happen and be intentional about it? Um, but you know, obviously, you, you you know, you did very well out of those couple of years. It sounds like you've gone through some some growing pains, which is which is normal. When was the moment in time this year when it was like that realization? Okay, there's been a shift in the market, and we have to we have to adapt, and we're going to have to restructure internally. We're going to have to approach our business development a little differently, be maybe more proactive. What, what can you look back and pinpoint when that happened? And like, yeah, I think, um, I think it was probably getting towards the end of Q2, if I'm honest. And, and I'm still, um, you know, I, I'm one of, I'm a big believer, Mark, in first of all, you've got to look inwardly, right? At, at were you doing the right things? Uh, I think it's very easy to say, oh, the market fell off a cliff. And and obviously it did in terms of the, the demand of the market and the, the pace of recruitment and the size of, you know, what comes through our door now on an in, inbound basis is vastly different to what was coming, you know, the pace of what was coming in and the size of what was coming in previously. Um, but equally, I, I think because we'd not because we'd not focused on being set up for what would become a normal market in quotation marks, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel that we're also responsible for that. And I think it was hard to actually pinpoint, is this a market thing or is it just, you know, the market has normalized and we aren't set up now to to operate as effectively as we were before because the market conditions have changed. So I think I was almost a little bit um, blindsided by that is that I couldn't pinpoint is it a market thing or is it an us thing? And I think it was probably a combination of the the two really. And I think the reality of the situation now is that we probably should have made decisions about restructuring um, in terms of the, the the formation of the business, if you like a lot sooner than, than we did for for sure. Um, But again, I think that was probably down to um, maybe a bit of naivety on my part that, you know, um, not that the market was ever going to, last like that forever but you know was it a case of that it was an, an, an us thing not an external thing and i think as i said it's probably a combination of of both um to be completely candid with you yeah absolutely so i guess at your uh sort of full peak you were 13 people how many people uh are on the team now 
So we're back to seven now, and I guess rehiring okay. um, more more strategically into um, different types of roles. We've gone through a bit of a process internally around kind of grouping certain types of roles together between delivery kind of client partner type roles and then kind of fresh new new sales type roles. So we've gone through a bit of an exercise on that and are now kind of rehiring back into into those roles. Yeah. And so uh, is that the approach? It's kind of like a factory style model rather than a 360 model where you have people who are either delivery or sales or like what other different roles available that you're you're hiring in? So I think we've, um, it's, you know, I personally think that the 180 model is is the best for scale given that the business model that we have, given it is project-led um, because obviously, you know, we probably have fewer clients, but our relationships and, and the, the agreements that we have with them are, are much deeper, right? So it's not like we, what we don't get a lot of is, ones and twos of hiring it's you know the, the probably average size project that we get from your typical client is probably about eight eight hires and, and that could be we need eight people right now or it could be we need eight people over the next six 12 months obviously some are really large in terms of a 40 to 50 almost like mini rpo type of model or then you have the the single um senior leadership type role. So we do a lot of partner hiring for consulting and advisory firms or, you know, kind of chief data officer, VP director level for which obviously are fewer and further between in terms of, of volume. So I think the the 180 model mm. serves us mm. best for that. I think the reality of that model of the actual, you know, the team structure with the business model we have is that there, there, there can be peaks and troughs, right? And I think we... Um, that is something that we've probably um, tried to get the balance right on because, you know, all it takes is for us to win one or two big projects. And then I'm sat here thinking, okay, well, we need to hire more delivery people equally then when those projects finish or fall off a cliff, if we're not replacing kind of almost in time, then you're like, okay, well, we've got a delivery team here now, which is probably being under under underused because we're still waiting for something else to, yes. to land. Um, and in all honesty, you know, I'm still the person that's out there doing the bulk of the the client work in terms of bringing these projects in. So it's not been too much of an issue in terms of well, how do you split the roles and commission? Because you know, obviously, I don't pay myself commission, so I'll bring it in. I'll pass it to the delivery team. Um, we have people internally within that delivery team now that are at the level that they can manage that client process. Um, so I can focus more on just bringing new work in, but that's probably been a challenge is that, you know, the diversification of business development development for us has been a problem mm. in that, um, you know, and, and in all honesty, the challenge that we've had, Mark, and where we're up to with this now is looking at, well, how do we bring the types of people in with this skill set that we need? You know, we've tried to hire um, traditional recruiters in the three, you know, in a 360 sense who um, prefer the business development side of the role. And to be completely candid, a lot of them have struggled because it is a different model. You know, the sales cycles longer, the the, the amount of commitment is bigger. The actual, um, the commercials around it are structured completely differently. Um, so we found a lot of people that have come from a very traditional recruitment background have actually struggled because, you know, I guess it's a very different selling approach. It's obviously very solutions orientated, working backwards from a strategy as opposed to, you know, give me a chance on sending some CVs for that job type of, of thing. So yeah, I think they're, they've totally, been the thick, absolutely. Thick key things. Having said that, obviously, if you find someone who's got the talent and they 
um, you know, the, the, the right mindset, then it is something you could teach someone to do, right? hundred percent. Yeah. We we can certainly teach the, the, the people how to, to, to do that. And I think, um, in all honesty, I think, it, I think it is a mindset thing more so than anything else, right. In terms of the, the model of how we, yeah. how we work, because we are community led. That's a very different approach. You know, if you're approaching someone about, Hey, you know, we host these events, we have this podcast, we have this mentorship, we do all of this value added stuff. Are you interested in that? Of course they are. It's often the transition from, well, how do you take that from that conversation into learning about them, their business, what their pain points are, what they may need from a talent perspective over what period of time. Just someone that's got a lot of experience and been in the market for so long, like I have, I very naturally have that conversation just exactly like it is a conversation, right? For someone that's more junior that isn't used to that, they see this as a big build-up moment to, okay, when's the transition to the sales call, right? And it's like, it doesn't need to be like that. Mm. I think that's the thing that we've we've we found people struggle with that is also quite hard to coach because it's more of a mindset thing of you just having a chat with another human being, be curious and interested about them. You know, you're offering them a load of value. You're already building rapport through that mechanism. Um, just have a chat with them and the rest will just come, right? Um, but I think, yeah, that's that's been the the challenge for most people is is the mindset. Yeah, no, I can I can totally get that, I guess. So that's the... The next chapter for orb- Orbition is figuring out how to remove yourself as the bottleneck to growth from a you know business development and and um, client acquisition point of view. Are there any other significant changes that you've made in order to guide your business uh, through its next chapter? Um, no significant changes as of yet. Um, we we've we're getting a lot of interest from outside investment and other bigger recruitment mm-hmm. uh, organizations in terms of acquisition. So uh, we're not closed off to that, you know, so there's some conversations going on there. Obviously, we're, you know, we're kind of looking around, at, are there people out there at a more s- senior and strategic level that can help us through this next stage of of uh, kind of growth and, and, and scale? Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we're at a point in time at the minute where it's just... Um, get through the next, you know, few months to the start of the the, the year and, um, you know, maintain the, the good run of form that we've currently got and, and then start hiring into those kind of key strategic hires to help take us to to the next level. Um, I, th- I think one thing that I'm, I think I'm fairly good at, Mark, is I'm very self-aware about what I'm good at, what I'm not, and, um, you know, where I think my time and efforts and skills are best served um so that's also kind of you know we're talking to people about that who you know we might may think have um you know kind of um a skill set that can complement mine uh, in in terms of more of the the operational side of the business probably Kyle that's huge and and it's so important for leaders to be self-aware and recognize i think the well i don't think i know that the number one thing that stops or slows entrepreneurs down in their growth trajectory is trying to do too much themselves rather than leverage other people's talent and focus on what they do best and and let go of everything else so and and definitely operations can be a key to unlocking further growth if you have the right you know COO or operations director, that could be a game changer for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Kyle, listen, that I've loved uh, hearing your story. Thank you so much for being on the show and and sharing your journey. And uh, let's do it again, maybe in a year or so, and and you can tell me everything that you've learned. Uh, you know, learn next. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to come back, Mark. Yeah, uh, pleasure uh, being here. Thanks, Kyle. Awesome. Listen, have a great day and, uh, you know, uh, congrats on your success so far and can't wait to see what happens next. Perfect. Cheers, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.